host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockeypedia cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Sean Shapiro. Sean, what's going on, man? Not too much, man. I've got a, uh, I'm living on a couple cups of coffee. I had a red eye home last night after a uh, game, game two. The, mm-hmm. uh, the, there was several, uh, <laughs> there's a great scene with, uh, so last night's game, obviously we all love overtime hockey, but last night I, and based off the other amount of hockey writers that were also catching Ubers for the red eye from Vegas, uh, out of Vegas after the game. If that game had gone to overtime, if it had been close, there would have been a lot of nervous, uh, not copy deadlines. There were a lot of nervous flight deadlines. Uh, so that was, that was a fun scene. And I was, uh, I didn't really care who won. I was just pleasantly surprised. I was, I was happy that, uh, it was, uh, decided, uh, before the third period. <laughs> well, as a proponent of maximum chaos, I'm sad that that happened. And also, it would have been more fun, obviously, if the game was close, but I'm glad that you were Correct. able to make your flight. Uh, you're back from your trip. You uh, you had a nap. Mm-hmm. You've had a few coffees. Uh, you're ready to go. We're going to talk about game two, uh, your observations from being there live on scene, uh, what you were hearing, what you were seeing, what the scuttlebutt was, all that good stuff. Let's get into it. Uh, yeah. So, you know, game two takeaways, it's, it's tough to take two, like it was a highly eventful game. Certainly, right? There's a lot of actual things for us to discuss in terms of what happened on the ice. The issue was from an analysis perspective, it was a 4 nothing game, what, 27 minutes in or a, less than halfway through the second period. And at that point, it felt like it was a wrap. Now, a lot of stuff happened after that. But um, in terms of like actually unpacking what went into it, it feels like these two games have had such a distinct lack of kind of like flow and continuity throughout them. And that's been reflected in, in when you look at the matchup data, I was so excited heading into the series. I can't wait to see how the chess pieces match up against each other. How these coaches decide to use their top defensive players against the other team's top offensive players. And then there's been so little five on five time. There's been so little clarity in that regard that it really has been chaotic. So maybe it's delivered from that end, but I feel like that's kind of my, my first impression um, coming out of game two. Yeah, for, for whatever reason, and I think it happens in the regular season too, but more so in the playoffs because obviously the teams are good and you don't expect good teams to give up big leads, but it almost feels like the minute one coach decides to pull the goalie in a playoff game, it feels like that's the white flag. Like it feels like that's the sign to the building that – so like for nothing is for nothing either way, right, whether it's Bobrovsky or Lion and that, but when – Florida makes the poll. That almost feels like the white flag for everyone watching. It's like, all right, well, they went to the backup. They're pulling the, their whole like. It's it's just a it's such a weird like like now obviously in a game where a guy makes a, a goal if a goalie lets up the goal on the first shot of the game and they make the the aggressive change or whatever that's different. But in general, like it just always feels like there's a. Uh, like when the goalie gets pulled, especially in the playoffs, it just feels like the game is over and one team's waving the white flag because good teams aren't supposed to surrender leads. We don't expect Vegas to surrender a four nothing lead. And it's 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 one of those it's it's a the two games of the series have been like it's been really interesting to see how the narrative and the storylines have developed versus in and this has been good ones, right? Like the, like the, like the, the Eichel, Eichel coming back is a great 
Eichel, Eichel not being hurt to the point where he would come been coming back and setting up the play. It's a great storyline and everything like that, but it's stuff that it's well after the game had been established. It's stuff that like analytically speaking, looking at like if you're trying to look at why this team won or lost, it had nothing to do whether that Kachuk delivers that hit to Eichel or not. Like it's mm-hmm. it's kind of that weird spot where some of the biggest parts of this series, or from game two at least didn't really matter in, in who won the game and it's kind of it's it's it was very odd well here's the thing john yeah i'm with you on on the f- weird feeling of kind of finality i guess when a team makes that goalie change especially when it's like a four nothing lead like that in vegas's last 13 games this postseason they have chased the opposing team starting goalie five times Pretty good. Um, so it has been a very common occurrence in that regard and mm-hmm. it sort of is also a testament to not only how uh, efficiently their offense is clicking right now, but also how businesslike I guess most of this run has been from them. Right? There's it, just it just mm-hmm. it's it's a very matter of fact. It's a very definitive performance, and and maybe that should be the focus of this because you look at that offensive outburst. So they score the seven goals in game two, right? Four of them on Bobrovsky, pull him, then three more on line. They had twenty one scoring chances in that game by my count, which is a lot for a game where they didn't really have much motivation in like the second half of it. They got a few there just because the games were devolved into a bit of a beer league atmosphere in terms of defensive intensity, certainly, but they did a lot of that early and three minutes into the second period of last night's game, they already passed Carolina's goal output from 16 periods that they played against this Florida Panthers team in the Eastern conference final. And so it really just has been an absolute offensive tour de force performance by, by Vegas this entire postseason, really, where they're, you know, the power play is kind of stunk. They they finally scored a couple in these first two games, but for the most part, their five on five offense has been the story here. And that has continued in these two games. And I think that should, I guess, be our, our focus right out of the gate. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's the, the way just this Vegas team has kind of felt it's felt like it's kind of the inevitability, right? This Vegas team has kind of felt like the inevitable force throughout all of this. It's the the team where it's never about the individual stories. Like we look at Florida was about Bobrovsky and Kachuk in many ways. It's a team game, but so much is about Bobrovsky and Kachuk. Um, when they played Dallas in the last round, Dallas was, was a well-built team, but a lot of it was, well, Jason Robertson produced, Joe Pavelski does this. Vegas, it doesn't matter who the goalie is. It doesn't matter what if the guy who's the leading scorer goes eight or not. It just, it's always been about how the team plays overall. And I think we're looking at the, it just kind of gives that inevitable feeling that this team was built that way to, uh, that, that this is what they were built for. It's, it's, it's funny. I was, I've got something I was writing for, for us over at EP rink side for next for, for tomorrow um, just on, on Ivan Barbashev, but going down the logic where Barbashev was traded was another, uh, another player acquired by Vegas trading away a first round draft pick. And like Vegas has um, other than the only uh, Vegas has only kept one first round pick one, one prospect that has actually been drafted the first round Vegas has kept um, and that that's it. And it's, I was kind of joking in the story, but if Vegas has that iconic parade that the NHL would absolutely love right down the Vegas strip, like Kelly McCrimmon should take a page right out of the LA Rams book and just do an F them picks 
like to go like an F them pick shirt because this this team this is what this team was built for. This team was built this way, and it's like it's a it's a like if you try to prep for this team and you look how they're built and it's it's a scary it's a scary team to try to plan for. And you watch them in person, and the thing like the thing that's most impressive to me about Vegas is you look at the goaltending stuff. And I know Aiden Hill is getting a lot of love right now and he's playing well, don't take nothing from him, but the way Florida last night, the amount of shots that like, cause I've been tracking them as you watch the game, the amount of shots that don't even like that don't even register to the audience as shots because how quickly Vegas boxes things out and closes things out. It's, it's like stifling things out before anyone even realizes there's something to stifle out. It's, it's, an, it's, it's damn impressive. Like, yeah, it's almost unfair that a team that good defensively, and we've made a lot this postseason all year, like under Bruce Cassidy, they change their defensive system the way they like to, um, what they like to close off. But this postseason, they've carried it over. But the fact that they're also scoring this much at five on five on top of that now is just makes it a nightmare, right? And, you know, Paul Maurice had some quote after the game last night where I'm not sure if you caught this, but it was something along the lines of like, you know, and it was a very classic coach quote of like this series for us isn't like about like how many goals we're scoring or whatever. It's like about like the the other stuff or the other end of the ice. And it's like, well, yes, but also um, with how much Vegas is able to create themselves, this is the type of series where you're probably not going to beat them 2-1 or one nothing or 3-2. Like they're just consistently churning out three, four, five on five goals alone per game. And so if that's going to carry over, you're going to have to find a way to break through all of the defensive problems Vegas is able to pose to you. And so it's a very tricky situation to try to navigate because they're so good at countering as well that you can't really go too aggressive and really just throw all caution to the wind because they'll just take advantage of that and flip the script on you there. So I don't know, like so far this postseason, they're up 56 to 26 at five on five. The Vegas Golden Knights are. The next best team in scoring is Dallas with 37. The next best team in goal differential is Carolina with plus four, just to kind of like give you context of, of how much they've widened the gap between themselves and everyone else this postseason. You look in this series in just two games now, they have eight different five on five goal scorers, right? Three defensemen, and every single one of their forward lines has created a five on five goal in these two games. And so, in terms of like how they were assembled, how they were built, how they were put together, generally in this playoff series, you can identify some sort of a strength that okay we have to we have to try to minimize this and then there's a weakness that we try to target and in this case it's really tough to actually plausibly identify those because they provide you with so few and they give you so many things to worry about yeah you just start to grasp at straws when you're when you're trying to find when you're trying to find weaknesses for vegas like i think we were watching um when i think the most recent i think the one that people were grasping at is from game one is like Aiden Hill makes the save, but there was times he looked a little bit sloppy and like, mm-hmm. like, like on that. And that's the one where people start to, to grasp at from game one. when really it was, I mean, aside from a, a stall wraparound, it was a effective, effective, really dominant Vegas performance in game one too. Um, it's, it, it's, it's kind of one of those things where you're, you don't want to like, it's, we, we we get into this this position where we want to break it down and we want to find the flaw and 
sometimes a team doesn't really have one. And that's just, that's the, that's how well built this Vegas team is. And I think part of it too was, and it's stuff you couldn't control obviously because of, of injury, but it's, we talked about what happened with Boston, right? We talked about, you know, I've talked about Boston where Boston kind of had the place where they never really got the practice test, right? Like they just, mm-hmm. everything was such smooth sailing where this Vegas team, they, they dealt with the injuries. They dealt with the, the things throughout the regular season and they didn't have the, they're a well-built team, extremely talented, plus had the adversity in the, 82 game season it's like a perfect storm that it, it's hard to it's hard to find a flaw in, in that team at all even even if you even like it's you have to go very fine tooth comb and then at that point you're like well there's never any good teams if you're going that <laughs> well they used going, to have flaws. That, yeah they yeah. used to have a flaw which was they were a much a way too much of a shot quantity over shot quality team yes, and that's then fair. they would that's run fair. into a certain type of goalie and defensive system that would give them a lot of trouble, even when they were making conference finals and winning a ton of games every step of the way. And now you look at, at this, and I think that's why I'm, I'm keying in on this so much in this discussion. Connor Hellebuck, 886 percentage in round one. Stuart Skinner, 875 in round two. Jake Ottinger, 877 in round three. Sergey Bobrovsky, 826 in these two games, including getting pulled in game four. Like, they are... Obviously, part of it is driven by, you know, good fortune. I don't expect, like, they're not a true talent shooting team the way they have converted so far, but they've clearly changed their approach, and they're so much more dangerous in that regard. And you even look in these games, it's tough because on the one hand, I've spent this entire postseason, it feels like, pushing back against this idea that Sergei Bobrovsky was playing at this Herculean Dominic Hasek level just because you were citing all of these stats that weren't actually based in reality. But at the same time, you watch these two games and it's tough to really be like, oh, well, he's turned into a pumpkin now because he's giving up these goals because a lot of them, he did not have that much of a chance on, right? A lot of them are from either good areas or ones where the spacing is entirely off defensively by the Panthers. They are screening him on a lot of these. They're not clearing oh, out yeah, the front yeah. of their own net, right? Like you, the Marsha So one to start last night, Mark Stone's butt is like firmly in his face. And that's all he can see. Now, I would blame him a little bit in terms of I don't think he's doing himself any favors because stylistically, his first response to that is at first sign of trouble, just get as low as you can, right? And so a lot of these shots, like you look at the Mm -hmm. Martinez one, it's kind of like a weird shot, but it beats him cleanly up high because he panics and just instantly gets super low out of, uh, like that's just kind of second nature. And in the previous series, Carolina was bailing them out on a lot of those because they either because they don't have the shooting talent or because they just weren't able to execute. They weren't targeting that and trying to punish them, right? It was a lot of shots down low that he was able to just effortlessly kick out. And then now this, it's clearly showed that they went into this with a game plan and they're executing that game plan. And so you can't really blame Bobrovsky for these, but also it's not like it's totally out of left field because this was a key point of conversation heading into the series. Well, it's a conversation Vegas has had about Bobrovsky where like I talked to I talked to someone from Vegas where they talked a lot about in the going into this series about how they use the word locked about how Bobrovsky gets locked into that low stance like it's 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 one of those things where like a lot of goalies will get small at times but 
they'll get back up into it. Bobrovsky almost gets like, like he almost like, it's like kind of like he hits, goes past a lever and like, can't go up for some reason until the next whistle. And it's something that Vegas had keyed on that and noticed that. And you see, they've been, they've been, they've been taking advantage of it. And if it's, it's one of those things where you and I've talked about on this show before, there's sometimes things where it's like, if the outside public can see it, and the other team can see it. We know the team itself can see it. And so you're kind of, you're playing and you're playing and praying, you're playing to, you're playing and praying that you're going to uh, not be exposed in that way. And it's like, and I, I wonder just in the internal psyche of, like we see the, uh, we see Florida has gone out of its way to scream Bobrovsky by themselves sometimes, just the self-harm of, like there's times where they they've gotten lost, they've lost guys through the zone. They're not dealing well with Vegas's transition, and so it becomes the panic moment of okay, now I must block the shot. That's what I must do, and and they're kind of standing up straight, almost like they're kind of standing up straight. And I, it almost it feels like it's you almost look at like some of like it was the which goal was it? it's like it's almost like one of those where they're standing up straight, thinking like oh, I'll take away the top half of the net and Baroski will take the lower half of the net, and it's it's just a, it's a mess overall and. It's like you look at this this Florida team, and I wonder not as much in the style. I, I wonder if how much they overthink thing over, over yeah, overthought things with the ten day layoff. Like because it's it's a it's a Florida team where they are not playing the same way they were against Carolina. They're not playing the same the way they were in the prior series. And I don't think it's an effort or energy thing. I think I think. I think that's not, but I I do wonder if 10 days became something where you started to overthink things where before it was pure survival against Boston. It was, it was pure, it was, it was survival. It was just focus on this and it was bang, 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 bang. And then all of a sudden you now get to a spot where you have 10 days, you're watching it. And I wonder if they just like internally overthought how things played out. And that's just a theory. I don't know. That's, that's my Uh. theory. I don't know. That seems a bit overly convenient for me. I I think it's going from that Carolina team to this Vegas team in terms of talent level and in terms of different ways they can beat you. I think that's a much bigger issue here. I I, I really no, think that's like, fair. That's that, that's that's and, fair. No, that's the, fair. Like, but, I, like I'm not taking I'm not taking anything away from Vegas. No, no, no. Is, I, I know you're I not. Think, I'm I actually think, speaking yeah. that to myself and to the audience because I yeah. feel like throughout this run, I've been guilty of this. A lot of this run by Vegas, part of it is because a lot of these defeats have been so like thorough and so um business like as i as i described earlier that yeah. along the way i feel like i've viewed a lot of these series through the lens of their opponent right mm-hmm. so in round 1 it was That's like fair. well okay. yeah this is even like you know they beat the jets in 5 and just like dispose of them pretty much effortlessly and after mm-hmm. that it was like remember there was like there was like the Rick bonus drama and him calling out his players yeah, and then yeah. and then what's Winnipeg going to do then in round 2 it's yeah. like ah oh, like Edmonton it was open for Edmonton this year and they couldn't get it done then mm-hmm. as we're preparing for the Western Conference final the lasting image we have heading into that start of that series is that dominant performance by Dallas at home in game 7 against the Seattle Kraken and so yeah. it's like all right well if they play that way they're going to be really difficult, right? And then they go down 3 nothing, and then we're like, all right, talking to ourselves, how can we get more hockey? How can Dallas 
make this run and force a game seven and 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 potentially um drum up more interest in that way. And so now we're getting into the series and once again they're up two nothing after two very thorough wins. And instead of being like, man, there's just so many things that Vegas does right and let's go through all of them. It's like we're focusing on what Florida isn't doing compared to what they were doing previously. And and I I I don't think we're focused. I I mean I don't I don't think we're focusing on it. I think it was something for to to defend myself here. My point is bringing up a little bit of seeing what's happening to Florida, I think has made it worse. Mm. Florida's done worse. But I also to be clear, like this I, I I earlier in this podcast I said Vegas feels inevitable. Like that's right. I think I don't think I don't I don't think I think I I don't want that to get lost here in, in translation where I think Florida has given themselves more problems than they need. And at the same time, it's, they're just punching up against, they're punching up against a much, much better hockey team. Well, and I, part of it has been exacerbated certainly right in, in Florida's defense. Um, they don't have any tools to run in for these first two games. Radical yeah. Gudis plays what two minutes in game two before mm-hmm. getting re injured and not playing the rest of the game. And so part of the concern heading into the series was Vegas is the deepest team of anyone this postseason, they're going to have that advantage. Well, it's, and a, that, it's a it's yeah, it's a four line team versus a three line team. Like, and that's been highlighted that's, now yeah, because yeah. you look at game two and it's like, all right, Eric Stahl plays what eleven minutes at five on five. In those minutes, Vegas outshoots them eight to two, outscores them two nothing. Josh Mahura has to play more, and without his regular partner now, he plays thirteen minutes at five on five. Goals are three one Vegas in that time, and that's not to you know. Be like, oh, Josh Mahura is the reason why Florida lost. But heading into the series, yeah. we were concerned about how the players on the margins lower on the depth chart would hold up against this particular Vegas team. And they've really just taken full advantage of that, right? And so it's kind of like all of those concerns you would have potentially had have been playing out in real time before our very eyes. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I, I, okay. The other thing from game two, then I guess, I guess we should say was, you know, a big story. And I, for the life of me, um, I don't think it impacted the result in any way because, you know, Vegas went up to that four, nothing lead full marks. They were going to win regardless, but after the Kachuk hit on Eichel, which for my money was completely clean and didn't really deserve of a big, you know, litigation after the fact of like, Oh, was it clean or dirty? Like it was, it was a regular hit. It was an unfortunate circumstance because Eichel, tripped before receiving the hit thankfully he was okay had that redemption story of coming back setting up the marshall so goal all of that is well and good i just don't understand do we get any clarity of why matthew kachuk received a misconduct and had to sit for 12 minutes after that play or is it just purely the officials are like we're trying to keep this in check it's a four nothing game we don't want it to escalate too much because it was still a bit too early in the contest for my liking to be taking that tactic as an officiating group, right? Like there's just, you know, it's unacceptable to have the other team's best player missing that much time in a game that's still theoretically up for grabs, or at least, you know, if Florida scores the next goal scores too, they have a chance. Instead, he's sitting for 12 minutes and the rest is history. I just, I mean, giving out 12 misconducts in game two and up to 16 in these two games, it speaks to how the games have evolved at the end of them, but also I do feel like that is a, a bit of a story here in terms of it turning into somewhat of a ref show. Yeah, I mean, two things for me. One, I no one like no one thought it was a dirty hit. Like that's that's the part where it's like I you see some of the you saw some of the like I think there was a story or two here or there about like reacting to clean or dirty. Like no one ever thought it was a dirty hit. Like 
Vegas, Florida, every everyone agreed it was a clean hit. Like that's no one, no one disagreed on that. Um, and so that for one is something where I think like it kind of takes away from the spot. Like now Eichel's return and like to me, the bigger, the bigger scare was a guy who had neck surgery and takes a hit high and even being a clean hit, like, oh no, like are we gonna have this this kind of dark cloud over Vegas going into game three because Eichel may be hurt, but then he comes back and he has the pretty big moment. I thought that was, I think focusing more on whether the hit was clean or dirty takes away from that because I, I want to focus more on Eichel's return. I think that's a really cool, like Stanley cup final esque moment that, mm-hmm. that we want to celebrate the, the misconduct part though. Like I, 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 I'm, I'm totally on board with you. I don't get how Matthew Kachuk throws a clean hit and then has to sit 12 minutes for it. I don't get it. Like, I, I really don't get it. Now they gave the rough for the, they gave the rough for kind of the little alter, the altercation afterwards. And they gave the, the misconduct was related to that. And so I, I don't, but to me, it's such a, like pulling a card out and just try pull, 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 pulling a control card out that the referees didn't need to, because too often we talk about, right. Like, People say like, oh, well, referees are controlling the game or we don't want them to decide the game and everything like that. And did what Matthew Kachuk did, was it really worthy of taking one of the best players in the world off the ice for 12 minutes in the biggest series in the world? And I don't think it was. I also, I look at the fact where I saw something where Florida came like within four minutes of like setting like the all-time record for penalty minutes in a Stanley Cup final game. And like, you're going to tell me like, that is like, that's the that is the performance that is the that comes that close to the all time. Like, I've we've seen the tape, we've seen how hockey was played, and we we've seen how <laughs> and how the pet like like I I remember going through and uh, like when when I wrote my first book about the stars, I obviously watched a lot of late nineties hockey, and I remember having a conversation with Brent Severin about how if a game was three nothing in the third period, that's when Brent knew it was his job. Like. It was that, and and that's not what this is. This is officials just throwing out 10 minute misconducts to control things. And it's on one hand, I think it's, it can be a tool in the bag that works and I'm not pretending to be an official or to know what's the right and wrong time to do it. But I just feel like it's getting, got overused in that game and it took away it really took away chance back i mean it really really took away like give him the two minutes that's fine but the, the full 12 minutes away like it's i didn't i'm on board with you on this one i don't like the i don't like the way the misconducts were using this one especially especially in that at that time of the game well and i one of the things i hate most is wasting time and energy complaining about officiating i just find it to generally be such loser energy um and in this case in particular i think it's a just outcome in terms of Vegas was the better team. They should be up to nothing in this series through these two games. I don't think any complaints about officiating have anything to do with that. Right. It does feel like some, there's been certain plays where it's like, all right, it feels like Vegas probably got off a bit easy here. I think a lot of Florida's penalties have been fully deserved. I just feel like it's probably a bit more even um, in, in on, on both ends. Now at the same time, it really does feel like the Panthers are kind of getting a dose of their own medicine in this series, right? Where they've bumped into a team that is essentially doing everything they've been doing up until this point, except just doing it bigger and better 
And and so that must be very frustrating as well to kind of bump into like a bigger bully in the playground, essentially, and 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 be given some perspective. It feels like that's sort of what's happened in these two games as well, right? Yeah, I mean, for me, the only the only officiating like made not major qualm, but the only officiating qualm that I would have had where I'm watching as a neutral where I felt like Florida got jobbed beyond talking about the the misconduct for is you go back to game one and the Aiden Hill throwing the, the the fact that Florida is the that Florida was the only one that comes out penalized in that 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 sequence where Aiden Hill um, defends himself and throws the punch or, and, and everything like that that's the only thing I mean Florida is getting is <laughs> you can see like it's it's one of those things where like I think Kachuk's a perfect example of it where now, albeit I think the misconducts have been a bit harsh and unfair. I think Chuck is you're seeing he's a perfect encapsulation of this Florida team where the frustration of the the, the frustration is, is starting to creep in and the space where that really works really well when it's it's like the thing if, if you're gonna if you're gonna be successful and run someone over at the same time, it works really well. But otherwise it just starts to look it's to reek of desperation. I think that's where, and Florida is starting to fall into that trap where they're starting to feel desperate themselves, but not channeling it in the right direction. It's, it's a Florida team. That's like, I mean, it's, you got to figure it out. <laughs> so, yeah, well, they've, they're heading home now. They have a few games to do so, but obviously um, have dug mm-hmm. themselves a little bit of a hole here. All right, Sean, let's, uh, let's take our break here. And then we'll uh, we'll talk about a few other things from this series and some other stuff around the league to close out the show today. Uh, you are listening to the Hockey Pediocast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Breaking down the top stories in hockey and Elliot Friedman every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back here in the Hockey PDO cast with Sean Shapiro. Sean, um, you know, we talked about the team effort from Vegas's perspective, and that's obviously the big story. Um, but let's identify some of the individual performances as well that have kind of stood out so far in these two games, um, just because I feel like they have been there, right? It hasn't just necessarily been like a uniform from from first player to 12, to, from first forward to 12 forward all the way through. Like there's been guys who have clearly shined. And one of those is Jonathan Marshall, so who... Um, you know, this, there's a sweet storyline of Florida giving him away a handful of years ago. And then now him coming back to bite them. I think that story sort of writes itself and, and already has written itself. Um, he is now the con Smythe favorite, according to the better markets by a very significant margin. And it's easy to see the logic. Why, right? He scores two goals in game two. He scored in, in game one. He has now scored in six of Vegas's past seven games is up to 12 in 19 for the postseason with nine other assists. And with him on the ice, this is a crazy stat for you. With him on the ice at five and five, Vegas is up 21 to five so far this postseason. And he, out of the 19 games they've played, he's only been on the ice for a goal against in three of those 19 games. Otherwise, it's been a clean sheet. And so um, he's been awesome. It's kind of cool to watch him play and how well he meshes with Eichel in terms of skill sets, right? Because Eichel has been doing so much of the heavy lifting as the puck carrier and the puck transporter, and he's been quite the playmaker in this postseason, especially 
from kind of the start of that Dallas series where the puck wasn't going in for him. So it felt like he started really looking for others and it's gone into this series as well. And that second goal Marsh so scored was the perfect encapsulation of that, where he just out of nowhere jumps in and is about as wide open as you're going to be. And you're wondering how a guy who is going to lead the, the league in postseason scoring uh, from a goals perspective by the, by the end of the series is that open. And yet time and time again, he finds a way to kind of sniff out these open spots in, in defense, his own coverage, and then make you pay for it. And it's kind of, it's really fun to watch the way he does that time and time again. He's been fun. I mean, it's, he talked about it right in itself and it's, um, I know the, it's easy to do the, the Vegas Twitter feed jumped on the, the, the thing last night, but, um, it was given away by Florida. And and to me, that story is that, that story is good and kind of writes itself. But um to me, it's that was seven years ago, right? Like it's that that like the fact that Florida gave up, it's not like this current GM is the one that gave up. It's not like this current GM is the one that gave him away and everything like that. So I think that's a good storyline, but it's not it doesn't have as much juice as if they played in the first couple years. But to me, it's it's him and like he represents this Vegas team. The thing that I like about the Marshall story is what have we learned about Vegas's tenure? They came into the league and they decided they were going to be different. They were going to aggressively manipulate the salary cap. They don't put, there's not a, there's not a priority. Uh, there hasn't been a priority on loyalty. I mean, they, they would disagree with you on that, but just in general, it's the fact of the matter is if, no one's your cap. You're if you're no one is there's no holy cows in Vegas, right? Like Mark Andre Fleury was, Mark Andre Fleury was 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 shipped out after winning the Vesna Trophy, and he was one of the most beloved figures in French history right off the bat. And the fact that Marcheseau was one of those six players that has been around from the beginning and has not been replaced, has not been recycled out, so they could get that other winger they needed and, and not done that. And it easily could have happened. And to me, that's the more, the more telling part of this story. Like that's, that's the kind of the bigger one of like, for all of the things that Vegas has done to attack the cap and, and to, to do this and make the moves and always be in the market for the big name player. They never chose to part ways with Marshall. So, and then Riley Smith too. But to me, that's the bigger Marshall story that I, that I enjoy about this, where someone who this I, I probably would not have expected Jonathan Marcheseau to still, if you had told me six years ago, he would be one of the six guys still remaining. I don't know if I would have believed that. So that's, that's to me, one of the stories about Marcheseau I like. And then I also, I, I like the fact too, where I, I love the way that line from a hot, pure hockey standpoint, I love the way that line plays. I love the way the, I love the way Barbashev and Eichel and Marcheseau play where it's, Eichel is obviously the driver and the creator. And you and I have talked before about how he just drives down that left wing and everything like that. And, and Barbashev has, and Barbashev is the winger who doesn't really, he, he's obviously the third offensive option on there, but he, but he provides that, 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 that four check, that playoffs. Like, I love the way that line's built just from a, like a hockey nerdy schematically way that line is built. It is a, it's a perfectly built line. I love watching that line play. And obviously part of that comes with just you have to have that guy like Marsa who can come in and has that shot and has that that finish like he does where, as you mentioned in that play last night, where it comes out of nowhere and there's the goal. Yeah, sniffing out 
just constantly getting he has had so many high danger chances just off of like those types of exact plays. That one was an extreme example of it, but um, it's been a heck of a ride for him. And yeah, that's that the idea of this team that has got gotten a reputation for giving players away. And the one player they haven't is the guy who previously struggled to find a long-term home in this league is, is a delicious story. Certainly the other guy that I wanted to talk about was Mark stone because I'm contractually obligated every single podcast to rave about him. And you know what? If you have an issue with that, this probably just is not the show for you, and that's fine. I'm okay with that because I I, I love I, Mark Stone. If you if I you're not a Mark, Mark Stone, Stone, if you're not a Mark Stone person, then you need to reevaluate the way you enjoy and consume hockey. Um, what uh, you know, in the goal he scored in Game One, where he knocks it out of midair and then immediately roofs it in basically like one motion, I thought that was the most Mark Stone goal. And I think I even said on yesterday's show, I'm like that was that was the most Mark Stone goal. And then now he didn't score the one in game two, but that entire sequence that I t- tweeted the the video of the replay where his stick breaks, he contests Brandon Montour's shot, right? Gets in the way of it, then just bowls him over, goes and picks up a new stick from the bench on the fly, and then has this like really savvy, delayed zone entry where he makes sure he tags up and he's onside, receives the puck, and then flings a cross-ice pass to the trailer, Brett Howden, who's able to finish it. And that essentially put the game away last night, right? That entire sequence was such a Mark Stone play. And the best part of it is if you go back and rewatch it, it happens all at about 50% speed, right? It feels like everyone else is moving in normal time and he's moving at half speed. And yet still he gets to where he needs to be and none of it matters. And it was just, it was such a beautiful play and that's exactly what this is all about and that's what he's all about as a player and so i just wanted to recognize that because it was really fun to watch oh he's so fun he's such a fun player like it's i love watching his gameplay i love the way he impacts the game i but the the stick grab was great like you're right like the first the first goal the goal in game one the knockdown that's the quintessential mark stone goal but i mean it's and, and and even like there's 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 that goal and then there's even uh i think just the way he kind of can go half speed at times and no just like we the the goal the the marcheso goal that eichel sets up on right, it starts, starts it. because yep. stone is just he starts it where stone just stalls the game and allows eichel to just basically slingshot through like like it's i love seeing a healthy mark stone play i love that the i love that's that it's uh I've been I've been a Mark Stone. Uh, I mean, if you don't love Mark Stone, this is hockey's not the sport for you. <laughs> well, I mean, it, you know that play. It shows the the effort and the desire. I think of him to not only win, but to get the puck at all costs, regardless of who or what is in his way. Right? Uh, it didn't wind up leading to a goal, but I actually thought one of the plays in Game One was also in this conversation of the most Mark Stone play where. It was like during the second period and um, I, I forget the exact sort of timing of it, but essentially there was a loose puck in the neutral zone. He goes and he picks it up. He beats Brandon Montour on a zone entry. Sam Bennett comes and tries to take his head off. He sort of sidesteps him, right? Mark Stahl in the process knocks him down to the ice because he's a bit off balance. And while his butt is on the ice, he still gets a scoring chance off that Sergei Bobrovsky winds up stopping 
and it didn't lead to a goal, but it was like, he just, he just individually beat literally every single person that the Florida Panthers had on the ice all by himself. And I generally kind of, you know, I, I bristle at the, at the talk of, um, you know, wanting it right. Or like this being uh, all about effort because everyone in the league wants it. But especially when you get to this point of the season, like the Stanley cup is within arm's reach. Everyone out there would do anything in their power to try to help their team get to that point. Right. But it does feel like a combination of like him just absolutely being like, I have to have this puck and then going out and doing it. And then having also obviously the skill to make something of it. Once he does get the puck is just such a perfect combination. And that's sort of what you're seeing in these games. And I do think that is, that that is an okay thing to, to kind of lionize, right. That's like what you strive for in these moments. It's a guy who, who's just putting it all out there and wants to help his team win and making all of these individual efforts to do so regardless of whatever the other team throws in his way. Yeah. I I don't like, I agree with you. I don't like the, I don't like the, the wanting it like to, to say, to say, to assume a guy playing in the Stanley cup final doesn't want it is always kind of, but I, I do think there's something to be said about properly dealing with the pressure. I think maybe sometimes we sometimes get guys wanting it confused with playing with the pressure. And I think that's something that Mark Stone has done a tremendous job of where it's you, you play with the pressure of the moment and it doesn't change your game and your game just elevates because some people deal with the pressure better than others. I don't think it's a want thing. I think it's just, it's just a, it's just like uh, why some people are better at public speaking than others. Just like it, it's if you want to narrow it down to something much simpler, like it's some people can step up and seize it in that spot. And I think Mark Stone clearly can. <laughs> well, I, I, I think there's also an element of like the, the urgency or, or sort of what you're willing to do to get there. Right. Like it's like, yeah, we just throw the puck in the middle of the ice and everyone can go get it. Who's going to get it. Even though Mark Stone would be, very low on your list of people to go get it based on his ability to actually get there in a timely manner. I would like trust him to find a way to outmaneuver and outsmart and outwork everyone else to find his way to eventually getting there. Right. Maybe not first, but eventually getting it. And so uh, that's what we're seeing here. And, and, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned like, Oh, it's cool to see like a healthy Mark stone. I actually don't even know if, if, if that's true. Um, Like he's clearly at times been fighting through pain throughout this postseason, there's been countless occasions I can remember where his opponents have, you know, targeted uh, his like lower back and, and with cross checks and like gone after him and he's still just fighting through all this. And now he's two wins from a Stanley cup. And I'm very curious to see what he does if they do wind up winning it with the Stanley cup. Cause it feels like that celebration is going to be absolutely uh, outrageous. So I can't wait to see that if it does happen, but um yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else on on this series or on Stone or any either individual efforts or team things or from just being at the rink, what what people were talking about, what you might have noticed that might not have been picked up on TV? Like, I'm curious for for empty empty the notebook here in terms of like yeah, what you yeah, got yeah, from yeah. these games. Yeah, and it was uh, the thing about the the Cup final that's really weird with the timing in Vegas, and it's just both teams are dealing with it. But in Vegas, dealt with it in the last round actually against Dallas for the first time for Florida there's a lot of waiting with the 5 p.m. local start, right? Like, because the TV schedule set the 8 p.m. 8 p.m. Eastern start. So, like, 
when game on the floor, when the series goes back to Florida, there'll be a, a morning skate. There'll be a, a more normal day where it just in Vegas, it was for both teams. And it's just a very, very weird day because there's no morning skate. There's no normal festivities. Vegas had a little bit of against the Dallas series, but in general, this is unlike any other setup that, that you'd kind of deal with throughout the regular season. So that was always kind of a bit odd. Um, the other thing that just, I really like took away from the game and, and you look at um, with how, how these two teams are and it's like having talked to people around, I, I know a lot of people will make the case over the um, about the, about this non-state tax and everything like that. And that does have an impact and why teams are successful and using their advantages, but having talked to people in Vegas about how, they spend and how they they spend in the in the in the spaces that don't impact the salary cap how i was talking to people in vegas about how much they're willing how there's a higher standard for salary for an equipment manager in vegas than some other nhl teams how they they're willing to shell out more for henderson and and it's 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 those little things where i think you look at like a guy who bought this team and Bill Foley, who said, I want to win a Stanley cup in six years. I think there really is a money where your mouth thing is where he's really gone and put the, and put the financial resources into play where there isn't a salary cap where no one says no, no one's limiting whether you can, how much, how much you can pay your assistant coaches, how much you can bring in, what type of resources you can bring in for your AHL team and talking to people around Vegas and, talking to players who come there. And that's one of the things that really sticks out to me is once you're really around it and you realize what the norm is for Vegas players, it's, you can see why it's even with, even with them having a bit of the history of kind of sending guys out a little bit unceremoniously when they're there, it's it's one of the best places in the league where you're treated on a daily basis that way. And this has nothing to do with, with, with the state tax or anything. It just literally has to do with an owner who, bought a team and bought a paid a big money for an expansion team and was willing to continue to back that up financially. And I think that sometimes gets, gets forgotten. We're not seeing, you're not seeing an ownership group who's going to let a goalie coach walk because of a financial dispute. And I think that's, that's a huge thing for Vegas in, in Vegas. Um, the other thing just with, like I look at with, with the series and that's been super interesting for me to, to kind of come across is you look at the way, um, like it, he hasn't he hasn't really scored much this series, and it's been obviously so Vegas dominated. But like, I love watching Barkov on a day. Like, you, like if like Barkov's one of those guys where like you kind of get lost just when he comes on the ice, you just kind of get lost just watching him skate, watching his stride. Like we talked about Stone, but like Barkov's a guy who I know this series has been one sided so far. But like you just from a pure hockey fandom standpoint like just watching florida in person you just kind of fixate on watching when he goes on the ice and that's something too that's like it's just been fun so uh, every single <laughs> movement of his is just is is butter like it's yes so, yes. So yes smooth yes um yeah. so yeah and no, i'm with you on that i i, I do also like i, I want to note um this vegas lineup that they're currently using is around 81 million dollars in terms of cap commitments just mm-hmm. uh, every time you know you, you you praise um 
you know, one of their players, I mean, like I post like a Mark Stone clip. There's always a couple bozos that are just like jumping yeah. dimensions that are like, oh, well, yeah, it must be nice to have this like team that's all this amount of money over the cap and and that, you know, was holding out this guy to for this moment. It's like, okay, well, I don't, there's so much wrong with that, but also like just pure from like a, from a, a math perspective, it's also untrue, right? So I just... Yeah. Yeah, they were jumping through all these hoops so they could have Jonathan Quick and, and Teddy Bluger. Like, yeah, that, that that that's why they were like <laughs> they were fake holding. Uh, they 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 forced their captain while they were competing for the number one seed in the West to uh to have a second back surgery so that they could acquire Jonathan Quick's and his veteran presence uh, sitting on the bench and uh, with a baseball cap on. Um, yes. it's it's ridiculous, but um, yeah, I uh, you know, it's I'm I hope the series isn't over right i hope there's there's more twists and turns of this it's going back to florida we'll see there's certain adjustments to make i'm going to have uh, our pal jack Hahn on tomorrow we're going to get into that from kind of a tactics x's and o's perspective and sort of break down what florida can do and, and what that might look like so i'm looking forward to that but um it was good to have you on the show man and, and it's good to see that you uh you made it back in one piece from from vegas okay. and that uh you're going to be covering the rest of the series i'll let you um plug some stuff here in the way out let the listeners know uh, kind yeah, of what you've been sure. working on and, and what they can expect from you moving forward. Yeah, for sure. We'll be at our at our place over at EP Rinkside. I'll be uh catching I'll be watch I'll be watching game three back from the house here, but I'll be back be back on the series for game four on and all the way through the end. And we'll we've we've got some stuff coming on EP Rinkside all the time. Um I've got something same time I'm still maintaining uh chap shots and I've got something coming up this week on USA hockey goaltending that is kind of interesting, just with uh, both a uh, past present and future look on that that i'm kind of excited about that's coming out and then uh yeah it's uh and it's it's a good it's a good time to good time of year in a couple weeks we'll be uh we'll be at the draft too so a lot, a lot of fun stuff coming up well let's plug uh you know we both work at appearing side we also just yeah, yes, put out yes, the draft yes. guide which everyone oh, yeah. should go check yes. out it is the gold standard in the industry and also like if you you know the, there's a lot of like there's only two fan bases technically that care right now still right that are still watching these yeah. games with a rooting interest everyone else is already i'm sure half of their mind is thinking about how my team can improve this offseason for a lot of those teams if they had a disappointing year that starts with the draft and the future and kind of a longer term view and so there's no better resource out there than the uh elite prospects ringside draft guide to check out than that so highly recommend everyone goes checks that out um we had the uh the the flyers trade today and we were planning on talking about that a little bit we ran long on the series and and that's totally fine because i still i'm still in playoff mode i can almost can't wrap my head around off-season movement yet there's still going to be time for that so we'll get to it eventually uh but sean enjoy the rest of the series uh we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of the hockey pdo cast as always streaming on the sportsnet radio network